You're listening to the Community Church in Orange podcast. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm kind of complaining because we're not having any rain. And I think the Lord's like, are you ever going to be happy? <laughs> you know? So thankful for that ministry. So thankful that you've chosen to be here this morning to worship Jesus with us. We are continuing a series that I began on Father's Day, Living on Another Level. And last week I talked about the, the idea that, that many times people have been misdirected. We have fathers that have been absent spiritual fathers. And God's called His church to raise up spiritual fathers. And it doesn't mean that because you're a woman or, or a male that you can't be a spiritual father. That you literally can be a progenitor of bringing life into the lives of other people. God's called every believer to live a priestly role in bringing other people into relationship with Him. And in order for us to move forward as an individual, we have to, first of all, understand our purpose. Many times in life, people are spending so many, so many, so much of their life looking for purpose and reason for being that they really, at the end of their life, they miss it. Because I will tell you this, folks, there's more to life than just working, retiring and dying. That the life that is fulfilled is a life that walks in the fulfillment of the purpose of God for what God called them to be and and as a believer when you're born again you are called into relationship with the Lord you are in essence you have been redeemed to redeem other people many times people use their past or their age or family situations to be an excuse why they never really get on path with doing the will of God I made this statement last week it's never too late to start and today it's not too late for you to begin to start down the path of the fulfillment of the plan of God and living your life on another level really means that you understand that that today is a new day. Amen. Are y'all thankful for new days today? You let the past be the past. You begin to live where you are and understand that God has a future and a plan for your life. If you will walk in the path that he has for you, I brought to to you the examples of Manasseh, Ammon, and Josiah. Manasseh was a, 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 a very evil king who was raised under the godly leadership of his father, Hezekiah. And Manasseh eventually was confronted by God. He repented, humbled himself, brought a revival back into Israel. Then his, he died, and then his son was, was raised up, and his son became a very evil person as well. And within two years of taking the throne, his son Ammon died. And that left little Josiah, a little eight-year-old child, to become king over Israel. And ultimately, Josiah created one of the greatest revivals that Israel had experienced. And I would say to you this, that it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. In the present, if you will humble yourself and turn towards God, you will find that he will begin to use you to not only impact your life, but impact the lives of people around you and impact the lives of your family. And here is the reality. We are putting something into that next generation, whether it be good or bad. And so fathers, individuals today choose to live your life on another level of putting something good into the lives of other generations because generational change begins with you and it begins now. I, some, I, I finished out the message last week talking about living your life as a life of significance and not necessarily a life of success. And I contrasted the difference between the word significance and success and the idea of the world success really pertains to things. 
We think people are successful when they have nice homes or lots of money or nice things, when in truth, there are many people that have a lot of things, but they're not successful when it comes to the things of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to choose, I choose to live a life of significance. It doesn't mean that we can't live a life of provision. God is a provider. And I believe the Lord wants to bless his children. But many times we allow the blessing to become a curse in our life and our life become more about the things of this life than the God that we are serving. So if you are going to choose to live your life, it needs to be a life of significance. And I finished it out with this, that God's next level in your life is not a level up, but it's a level down. When we get on our knees and humble ourselves before the Lord and become a servant, that's where you begin. Jesus plainly said it in Matthew 23, 11, but he who is greatest among you shall be a servant and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So the next level in the life of a believer is not going up in the eyes of the world or in the eyes of people. But I will tell you this, the greatest level I can ever attain in the eyes of Jesus to be a servant that he called me to be. And I believe that in the day and the age we live in, that is such a contradictory ideology of the American dream. The American dream really is to be served rather than to serve. But I will tell you this, the greatest fulfillment in your life is not going to be in being served. It's going to be a servant. Yesterday, uh, Missy Capard, who, was our, who worked for our church and her and her daughter both recently are moving to New Bronzeville. We went over yesterday and some of us, me and my son and some others, we went over and we helped pack her up. And you know, it was hot and it was sweaty and it was difficult. But when I got through, I was sitting there and I was thinking, you know, it was actually a blessing to be there just to help her. She, Leslie said she called her and she was just in tears. So thankful that we showed up to help her. Let me tell you, folks, there's no greater thing in the life of a person than you would serve the kingdom of God and be a servant and have a servant's heart. And so the next level that God's called you to do really is a servant. But this message I'm going to share with you this morning, I've entitled it, Looking into the Mirror. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. James 1.23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And when he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in this house today. Lord, we rejoice that these young men made a choice to be baptized and to follow you with all of their heart. Lord, we speak the blessing of Jesus over them. And we thank you today, Father, for your presence in this house. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come in this place and you would speak into our lives, Father. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive that pure milk of the word, the seed of the word of God. I pray, Holy Spirit, help me to speak with purpose and clarity and understanding your word. Father, anoint me to preach your word into the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me say thank you for allowing me the honor. I was thinking about this this morning. What an honor to get to speak into the lives of people. What an honor to be able to stand here behind this pulpit and to share with you a message from the heart of God. So 
Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak into your life. I believe that in order for us to move forward in our personal life, there always needs to be an assessment. I, I think that many times people's assessment of their lives can be skewed. Matter of fact, many times people live a life of insecurity, feeling that they're never adequate, feeling that they're never enough. Maybe that arises from things that people have spoken to you in the past. Maybe it's a parental figure. Maybe a father or mother spoke uh, words over you that were not words of affirmation and love and building up, but maybe they were words of tearing down or maybe it was just being in school and because of your your demeanor or situation, whatever it is, kids would make fun of you. And so many times we see individuals, they live their life and they are bound by insecurity. They never find full, fullness and security in their relationship with God. They never come to a place where they feel like that God loves them as they are. And I want to tell you that that's a wrong perspective. You hear of people that struggle with eating disorders individuals that struggle with eating disorders because they they view themselves in a wrong perspective many times they could be completely emaciated and 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 literally starving themselves to death there are people that literally will starve themselves to death because they have a condition that makes them view themselves with the wrong perspective that they don't look a, a certain way or fulfill an idealistic thing you need to understand there can be skewed perspectives there can be wrong ways of looking there can be things that you think about yourself that are not correct in the sense that you are more than what you think you are but then there's also many times there are people that that think they're more than they actually are amen they they maybe think they're they're smarter than they are they think maybe they're more athletic than they are they think maybe that they are more uh, beautiful than they actually are or that they have an incredible personality and or maybe they think that they're funny like me. See, I made you laugh. Amen. And just as wrong as it is to have a perspective that's based in insecurity and fear and, and not a right understanding about the, who they are. You know, the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have been made in the image of God himself. They can also have the view that they're prideful or that they're better than they actually are. And both perspectives can be wrong. I don't know about you, but I want an honest evaluation of who I am in my relationship with God. And, and, and many times, I, I've said it this way, that many times when, when ladies look in the mirror, they can only see the problems and what their, their flaws are. My wife has a mirror that uh, has a light, a round mirror, and it magnifies. Any of you ladies got one, you know, when you sit there and do your makeup and stuff. And, and I can be in there, and I can be like, you know, this don't look too bad. You know, I'm kind of gotten it all worked out. And I can go up there and look in her mirror, and I can go, dear Lord, where did those age spots come from? <laughs> Many times women, when they look in the mirror, all they can focus on is that they're Maybe they're too fat or their their hair doesn't look right or they're not this or that. And, 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 you know, guys can be the exact opposite. You know what I'm saying? We can get out of the shower. We can be sagging and bagging all over. And we can look in the mirror and go, I still got it. <laughs> all right, ladies, quit looking at your husband. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I want to have an honest assessment of my life. 
And I would think that the most honest assessment is not necessarily the way I view myself. And the most honest assessment is not necessarily the way that you view me. That the most honest assessment we could ever had is delineated by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit. So if we are going to move forward in our relationship with God, there has to be an assessment of where I am. If you don't know where you are, you, don't need to, you won't know where you need to be. If you don't understand about the places and the areas of your life that maybe need to be changed or transformed or surrendered to the Holy Spirit, then maybe you don't can really ever come into a place where you can begin to really change. And the Bible says that we behold the, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed from the same image to glory and glory. So what we have to do what we must do in order to move forward in our personal development and personal relationship with God, there has to be an honest assessment given by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, many times, I pray in this manner, Holy Spirit, turn on that floodlight. You know, it, you can look good in a mirror when the lights aren't on. Amen? Uh, matter of fact, your house may not look so dirty. Does anybody have one of those vacuum cleaners with the light on it? We have one of those, I don't remember what it's called, the, like a Tenneco thing or whatever, like it's a, a vacuum and a mop thing. And we have vinyl flooring in the house. And you know, it, it's not too bright in our home. We've got some sh shady windows and we've got shades on it and stuff. And you know, the floors at times, it don't look so bad, but when you get that thing out, that vacuum mop thing and, and you start using it everywhere that that light shines it begins to reveal just how dirty that floor is y'all know what I'm talking about I'll, I'll see dirt and various things as you actually my wife sees dirt and things as she I've done it a few times <laughs> so what we need is we need an assessment that's that's brought on by the Holy Spirit whether it's an assessment of us viewing ourselves in too low a capacity or it's an assessment where we're viewing ourselves in too high of a capacity. We need to be right down the middle where God's called us. We need to have an honest assessment that's born of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, if God's next level in my life and the greatest level of attainment in the kingdom of God is servanthood, the, 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 the thing that the Holy Spirit has to do to us and begin with, first of all, are you a servant? Are you willing to serve the kingdom of God? You see, people are willing to serve many times if that serving involves them getting some benefit from it. Personal development, personal growth begins with a servant's heart. It's where it's the, it's the very basis, it's the very foundation from which everything operates. One of the problems we, that we have had in America and in the world at large today is we have professionalized the ministry. We have made it where there are pastors that are paid, there are staff people that are paid to accomplish the will of God. And what we do is we relegate that to the paid, professional, trained people. But that was never God's plan. That was never God's will. God's will and God's plan is that every person put their hand to the plow and begin to move forward in the accomplishment of the purpose of the kingdom of God for the world that's around them. There are people that you know are going to hell and we stay silent. Amen, pastor. Thank you for that word. 
Let me say it again. There are people that we know that are on their way to hell. They are not in relationship with God. They've never been born again. And we stay silent out of fear of offense. You know, most of you, I think, are familiar with the reality that they overturned Roe versus Wade. And I've seen people where they say, you know, well, we have to, we, amen, praise the Lord for that. They say we have to respect everybody's opinion. I'm sorry, I don't respect the opinion of the murder of children. I don't. I don't respect that, that is contrary to God's word. I don't have to, I don't have to acknowledge or respect or even be congenial towards that that is contrary to the will of God. Matter of fact, I would dare say that the church at large has gotten so afraid of saying anything that would bring offense. We're going to allow people to continue in a path in a manner that is contrary to the word of God. Watching them walk down the road of hell. Because we don't want to offend. There has to be an honest assessment of our life. Are we a servant? Are we walking in the place where there is personal development and growth in a closer relationship with God? Why is this important? Is it so that we can come to church and we can quote scripture or maybe we shout a little more or dance a little more? No, it is so that we ultimately fulfill the will of God on this planet. The will of God is not a bigger, better church. I'm going to say that again. The will of God is not a bigger, better church. The will of God is the redemption of lost humanity. He said that he is not willing that any should perish. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Jesus didn't die so that we could have a bigger, better church. He died so that lost people could come into relationship with the Father. Sons and daughters could be born again. Prodigals could be brought home. And I will tell you this, that I believe. That is, we see difficulty upon difficulty coming in our world. As I read the word of God, we don't see things getting better in the word of God. We're seeing in the end of days, things get worse. As we see difficulty upon difficulty coming to the world, what it does is it makes us get into a position and a place of maturity so that when the winds do blow, we've been here before. Has anybody ever been through difficulty in your life? Amen. At my first church, I remember... Um, this was in, in 1997, our first church we pastored. I had a situation and a scenario where somebody was upset with me. Now, I had been a youth pastor. I'd led worship. I'd been a part of ministry. But I had never had anybody mad at me at church. Well, I'm past that one now. I, I, I had a lot of people mad at me. Amen. I may have somebody mad at me this morning right now. I don't know. If you do, you need to get that right with God. <laughs> And, and I, was, I was upset because I, I'm, I want people to like me. Anybody else in that? I, 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 I don't want to be disliked. I don't want to run around and people hate me or, or dislike me. I, I'm just as much as anybody else. I want to be, to be liked. Matter of fact, I'd always had people like me. I didn't have a lot of trouble at that point and had an individual that was really upset from with me. I can't even really remember the whole situation. But I remember calling my presbyter who was over me and I said, listen. I've got this person mad at me, da-da-da, and I think I'm going to quit. Now, I'm about six months into this deal. He said, he said, Brother Thurman, he said, how long have you been there? And I told him, I said, about six months or whatever. He said, you've been there six months, and now, just now, somebody's getting mad at you? He said, you're probably doing your job. 
He said, you need to stick it out. Those were great words of wisdom. Because I stuck it out and I worked through that and I asked God to help me. And ultimately, the Lord did help me. What he did is he was preparing me because I was going to face down the road other people being upset with me. And now I, I have been down that road enough that I just know this, that many times when I get a phone call, I'm just prepared myself because somebody's going to probably be upset about something. Here is the truth. Uh, I know that there are going to be times that people aren't going to be happy with me. I understand that. God bless you. I still love you anyway. So there has to be an honest assessment of our life. And we have to say, Lord, where am I in relation to your will? Where am I in relation to being a servant, to being a real man and woman of God? Because it doesn't matter as much as what you say as much as what you do. Your mouth can say one thing, but what do your hands say? Come on, amen? You can say you're a servant, but the question in reality is, are you a servant? So in order for us to move forward and to be the person, the, the man, the woman that God called us to be, we must take a look at our lives. And the question we have to first ask ourselves, are we saved or are we in bondage? Israel was in captivity in, the, in Egypt, in the, in the Old Testament. And the Bible says that they cried out before God because of their taskmasters. And the Lord heard their cry. You see, Pharaoh had put his foot upon them. They had been raised up and they had become slaves in Egypt. And God raises up Moses because the Lord wanted to bring deliverance. You see, in essence, Pharaoh is a type of the devil. He is a type of Satan. And here is his people crying out, I'm needing freedom. I want to be free. I don't want to be a slave in Egypt any longer. I want to live as you call me to live. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a what? Come on, everybody say it. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Well, I sin a little bit every day, Pastor. You, you, you know I can't help it. It just, I can't turn my eye from looking at the ladies. Come on. If your wife sees that, I bet you turn your eye. Amen. Well, pastor, you know, I, I just really can't help it because I, I, I want everybody to know what they're going through. So, so I'm, I'm passing off these prayer requests that really are gossip. See, the question is, are we in, in bondage? Or are we in freedom? Israel was in bondage and so they cried out to God. And then ultimately the Lord raised up a deliverer. And here is the truth today. You don't have to stay where you are. Amen. You don't have to live under the bondage and the control of sin. Why? Because Jesus came to set you free. His blood didn't come to just partially wash you or make you a little bit of you and a little bit of Jesus. No, the Bible says, he that the Son has set what? Is what? Free indeed. So either God's word is true or you're right. If Jesus said, I've come to set humanity free from the bondage and the power of sin. If Jesus' word is true, then the question is, how am I living? 
Am I living under the bondage of secret sin? Am I living under the bondage of little things that I would maybe term white lies or white sin? Things that are just little things that really nobody really knows about. You know, you know, Pastor, it's not that big a deal. I just occasionally steal a little bit of time from my job. Amen. You know, it's no big deal if I, if I take off a, a, an extra 10 minutes or 30 minutes. It's no big deal if I lie on my income tax. Come on. What I'm telling you is that Jesus come to save your whole life, to transform your entire life, so that you could become the man or the woman that God wanted you to be. But Satan himself is okay if you still live in Egypt believing you're free. Could you imagine Moses showing up? Let my people go. Plague. Let my people go. Plague. Let my people go. Plague. 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 Finally, it's like, all right, I'm going to let them go. You guys go. And could you imagine them prancing around, shouting, and, and doing all the things that that day of freedom left? And then Moses said, come on, guys, ladies and gentlemen, we're going out into the desert. Hang on. What do you mean? It's hard out there in the desert. I, 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 you know what? I'm free, but I'm going to stay in Egypt. That would be contrary to the truth. Could you imagine anybody living in Egypt declaring they're free? They would believe a lie. You know what will hold your heart captive? A lie. And the enemy of your soul wants you to believe that, that you are free when you're really bound. Many times we make excuse for our behaviors and our actions and let me just put it as it is in the Bible. We make excuse for our sins. I had a friend tell me years ago, he said, Christians pick and choose their sins. And they're very quick to point out other people's sins, not seeing the sins that's in their own life. So we grow comfortable living in Egypt when God's declared you are free. You don't have to live there. Well, Lord, you got to understand, I got a little bit of Egypt in me and I just can't help it. You know, I can't help it. I, I've got to worship the gods of gold and silver a little bit. Are y'all catching me? You know, uh, Lord, I know that you set me free, but you know what? I've been raised all these years under the household of Egypt. And all these years, I, I've just accepted that's just the way I am. That's a lie from the pits of hell. He came to set you free, to deliver you, and in order for you to move forward in your personal life, you have to know and discern, am I living under the freedom of the reality of salvation, or am I living under the bondage and captivity to sin? You see, if you are saved, you are moving forward in your relationship with God. When I was a kid growing up in Burkett, Texas, I spent a few years living in a little town called Burkett, Texas. Just right outside of Cross Plains, Texas. And if you don't know anything about Cross Plains, the, uh, the writer for Conan the Barbarian series was raised there in Cross Plains, a little small West Texas town. And Burkett was a really small town of maybe 100 people. And we had a little, it's, we called it was called the Pecan Bayou. I don't know why we called it a bayou. It was really more like a creek. And it would only run at certain times when there was a certain amount of rain. And we had a little area that we loved to go and swim in. Because here's the thing, we didn't have a swimming pool. So we went down to an area called the windmill. It was a little deeper spot where the water would catch and it would stay there all summer long, you know. And, 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 and then over the summer, eventually it would grow moss on it. 
and uh, different things. And I can remember getting out of that water, that stagnant, non-moving water, getting out of that water and there being leeches on my legs and blood running down my legs. And you know what we did? We just pulled them off and threw them away. And guess what we do? We go swimming again. It was really nasty. I can tell you right now, I wouldn't do that now. I am a big sissy now. I'm just ruined. I'm ruined. It's just like eating armadillo. I grew up eating armadillo. I wouldn't do that now. Now, I would feed it to y'all. So come some Wednesday night, you might get a surprise. Armadillo on the half shell. It's good. There is nothing worse than being stagnant when God called you to be moving. Stagnant things grow stale. Stagnant things really do not produce life. He said that it's a river of life that will flow through you. It's not a pond. And in the Bible, in the book of Revelations, there was a church that falsely believed that they were doing good and everything was okay. It was a church of Laodicea, one of the seven churches of Revelations. And they said, we are rich and we have need of nothing. You see, their discernment and their assessment of who they are. I, I want you to get this. Laodicea's discernment and assessment about themselves was they are rich and have need of nothing. It sounds like America. In America, the pinnacle of fulfillment and good life is getting some things. Having money in the bank. Yet we find people that are multimillionaires that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Why? Because they find out money does not provide security. Money will ultimately not provide happiness. And here is the truth. Money cannot save you when you get a terminal diagnosis from a doctor. And so the world that we live in believes that if we have money and things, we are okay. And then Jesus goes on to tell Laodicea, they said, we're rich and have need of nothing. And Jesus said, you are poor, miserable, blind, and naked. Now, if I was naked, I'd know it. Come on. But for some reason, they thought they were rich and had need of nothing. You know what it was? Because they had things and they had everything seemingly worked out, they were okay. I can tell you the danger is this. The danger of the blessing is that you feel like you are all right with God as long as you have money in the bank. They say a recession's coming to America. I don't know if it will or not. If it does, I, I would dare say I know what will probably happen in America. I believe there will be a resurgence of people seeking God. Because nothing so affects people in their pursuit of God like not having money in the bank. Amen? When I can't pay the bills, all of a sudden people begin to ask God for help. I remember as a child when I would get into situations, I made all kinds of deals with God. Anybody ever try to make a deal with God? You know, God, if this works out, if, you know, Lord, if, if, if you'll do this for me, then, then I, I, I'm going to really serve you this time. And then invariably i'd come through that and guess what i didn't serve him you don't make deals with god god makes deals with you and his deal is come as you are but don't stay as you are and he by the holy spirit wants to bring revelation and understanding because laodicea thought they were rich and had need of nothing but he said they were blind poor miserable and naked you know what he described them as they were spiritual beggars they had a lot of things, 
but they didn't have a lot of God. And there is nothing so dangerous, and I would dare say that in America today, that we fit this role so succinctly. There are multi-millionaire churches, mega churches with everything you can think of. They've got property, buildings, programs, everything you can think of. And I'm not begrudging those things. I thank God for provision. I thank God for air conditioning. Amen. I'm do. I'm thank God for it. Amen. I'm hot right now. Some of you are probably freezing to death. <laughs> but when the church becomes blessed and they begin to pursue the blessing rather than the blesser the result is a church that can be misguided and misrepresent who god really is so there has to be an actual valid assessment of where i am and who i am and only the holy spirit could do that because listen to this folks i can have a tendency to misassess who i am and where i am I can assess myself too low, and I can assess myself too high. That's why it's necessary to have the Holy Spirit operating in a church. That's why it's necessary that in this house, when we come together, the Spirit of the living God is given the opportunity to confront your life. I don't know about you, but I want to be right. Anybody else with me? I don't want to live my life with an assessment that God, I'm... Everything's good and everything's wonderful and, and I'm good because I've got some money in the bank and same thing, things seem to, to be going. I'm, I'm recognizing that how we are blessed at Community Church. We are blessed beyond measure. But the truth is that blessing can be tenuous if we do not obey God. The Holy Spirit this week, uh, sharing in our prayer service, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me this week about a necessity to remind people where you came from. God has been good to community church. He's been good to you as an individual. He has brought you through storms of life and hurricanes and various things. Turmoil and difficulty for community church. That if we're not careful in guarding who his presence is. Guarding the reality of the sanctity of this place. You say, well it's just a building. But it's a building that has been dedicated to the glory of God. And it's dangerous when we take the things that are dedicated to God and misappropriate them and misuse them. I want to always be in a position, in a place where I hear the Holy Spirit telling me, Lloyd, you're right on track or I'm not on track. Because if I'm not on track, church, I want to be where God is. I want to be where the Holy Spirit is. I want to be where Jesus is. I want to be the man that God called me to be. That should be the heart cry of every believer. The heart cry. You see, many times we are saved, but we're not moving forward. Colossians 1.21, and you at once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached in every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. When you read this, this is a blessing of God's provision and the goodness of God and all the things that he wants to do. But it is conditioned upon continuing in the faith, grounded and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Paul, writing to the Colossians, basically says... To hear what God's done in your life is conditioned on continuance and moving forward. I got up yesterday morning and I don't really think a lot about working out. I don't, I don't really think about it. I just, you know, that's, uh, I think of the devil or something. I don't know. It hurts. Come on. Amen. 
But I got up yesterday morning and I felt convicted by the Lord that I need to start doing something for my physical health. That I need to start thinking about the reality. When I woke up yesterday, it's like the Holy Spirit said, Lloyd, you are seven years away from being 60. That's a cold dose of reality. Amen. But I said, so that means, Lord, I'm like 14 years from Social Security. If it's still there, <laughs> that's a win, maybe. And I want that assessment by the Holy Spirit because if he's telling me something, he's telling me for my benefit and for my good. He, he's telling me you can't just keep waiting and thinking, well, one day I'll work out. I went to the doctor this week to the dermatologist and they, they cut a spot off of my hand and burned some spots on my hands because she's testing me for squamous cell carcinoma or something. And, and she, she breaks out this really powerful little small light and she literally is getting down there and like going over my hands and, and looking over it and and then she 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 uh she breaks out this bottle and she didn't prepare me for nothing i'm just sitting there on my hands i don't know what she's doing all of a sudden she's like and i'm like that kind of hurts and she's like oh have you never done this before no i have not done this before it hurt i needed my wife Listen, folks, I used to couldn't go to the doctor to get a shot without Leslie being there with me. She had to hold me down. I can take a shot now. But I was not prepared for that. And she's like, oh, I'm really sorry. I thought you had already had this done before. No, I've never had that done before. It hurt. But, you know, she was burning places that I didn't see. You see, she's a trained dermatologist that, and here's the incredible thing. Under the microscope and the revelation of the light, she saw the places that were bad. That is why it is so important that we pursue the spirit of the living God personally. Let, let me give you a little side note. If the only time you are assessing your life under the power of the Holy Spirit and the floodlight of the Holy Spirit is on Sunday morning, you are missing out on the walk that God called you to walk. It should be that when you get up in the morning, the Holy Spirit is already speaking. Here is a danger. We have a tendency and we have the ability of the human heart to become calloused to the voice of the Holy Spirit. It says in scriptures, harden not your heart as they did in the day of the rebellion. I think that's in the book of Hebrews. Speaking about Israel, when God had told them to go into the promised land and they rejected that. And so as a result of that, they spent the rest of their lives wandering in the desert until they died. What they did is God said it. They rejected it. They hardened their voice to God. And as a result of that, they never entered into the fullness of the fulfillment of the plan of God. And many times in our lives, the Holy Spirit will gently speak. And he will say, do not write that on Facebook. Let me say it again. He will say, do not write that on Facebook. He will say, do not text that to them. He will say, do not step that direction. And in his love and mercy, he will repeat it. He will consistently call he will draw. He will ask you to stop. But the more you reject that voice and continue a pattern of unbelief and disobedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the less you hear that voice, the less you hear that voice, till finally 
you feel no conviction for your actions. It is a dangerous, dangerous place to be in the life of a believer when your ears are dull to the Holy Spirit. That is why Jesus consistently said, if you would have ears to hear. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. There's nothing that I, that I treasure more in my life than the voice of God. I've shared this before. As I've told you all before, you have to put up with it. I get to tell my stories over and over because I'm over 50. But there are some here who haven't heard it. When I took a position uh, parking cars in Dallas when I was in Bible college, and it was really good money. I was going to be making about 150 bucks a night parking cars. Let me tell you, in 1992, that was a lot of money. That's a lot of money now. I would literally park 20 cars and make 150, 140 bucks in cash. That's a good, good gig. And when I got offered the position, the Holy Spirit said, do not take that position. Don't take it. And so, you know, I just rebuked the devil real quick. And I said, you know, it can't be God because that's a lot of money. Let me tell you this, if you'll be obedient to the Lord, you don't have to worry about your provision. He is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. And so I went and took this position. The result was, as I was there parking every kind of luxury vehicle you could think of, it was a restaurant slash nightclub, and it was probably more nightclub than it was restaurant. People show up in sequin gowns, and they played jazz music, and I had to wear a tuxedo I parked Lexus and Rolls Royce and Mercedes and Jaguar. I did all this. I had people, I would pull their car right in front of the door and I'd back it up and, and give them their car and they'd give me a $20 bill. And I'm like, that's a pretty good deal. You know, 20 bucks to back your car up. And one night the owner gets out of his car with a, 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 an incredibly beautiful young lady, a, 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 an Asian lady. And she went inside and with her and another guy and then a little bit they come out and they start asking me a question like, you know, what, uh, have you been to this bar? And I was standing there, I was like, no. Have you been to this bar? No. Have you been to this bar? No. Have you been to this bar? Her and this young man that was with her. Finally, I said, you know, I'm studying to be in the ministry. I've actually never been to a bar. I don't, I don't drink. I don't do any of that. And, and he goes, okay. So he goes inside and she said, well, he's gay and he thinks you're hot. I was like, huh? I was so clueless. <laughs> and then she starts talking to me. And she goes inside, and at the end of the night, we're closing up, and, and the owner's there. And I go in, and there's men's and women's restroom, and I'm standing outside the men's and women's bathroom. And she comes out of the bathroom and walks over to me and grabs me and just kisses me and puts her phone number in my hand. That's about one in the morning. And she said, call me, come see me. And she went off. She's the girlfriend, the, the owner's girlfriend. So I get in my car. And I'm like, I rebuked that in the name of G. No, no, I was like. And a voice said, nobody will know. Hmm. So Leslie's at home. She's pregnant with our first child. So I prayed and I said, Lord, help me to leave. You know, the Bible says with every temptation, God makes a way of escape. You know what the way of escape is? You choosing to obey the word of God. Doesn't mean you're not tempted. It doesn't mean it's not angels didn't show up and start the car and tell me, go home, son. 
God didn't arrest me and tie me up until I got home. No, no. I had to make a choice. So I drove home. I woke Leslie up. I told her the whole story. She clawed my eyes out and beat me. No. We prayed together about it, tore that phone number up and threw it away. And I prayed. I said, Lord, if you'll get me out of here, I'll never come back. This is the truth. The next day, that restaurant shut its doors and never opened again. They, one of the owners ran off with all the money. You see, what it was was the Holy Spirit was trying to protect me. He was trying to keep me from a place of temptation. I was in that moment because I didn't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. God is working on your behalf right now to shape you and to mold you from image to image and glory to glory. So that you ultimately become like Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was a suffering servant. He was a servant of all. He displayed that reality that if you were going to be like Jesus, it begins with being a servant. And being a servant means that you follow somebody else's will. You are either following the will of your own dictates of your own heart and the powers of darkness and the bondage of sin. Or you're walking under the direction and dictates of the direction of the Holy Spirit. One leads you to a place of death. One leads you to a place of life. And God's will is not that you die. His will is that you live. And don't just barely live, folks. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come to give you life. And that life that's abundant and overflowing and more than enough. So who do people see the, in me? Romans 12, 1 says... I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, listen, it is reasonable that you surrender your life a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to the Lord. Don't be conformed by, into, the, trans, into the, the world's mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I got saved, I was raised in a world of hell. I was raised in a world of filth. I was raised in a world of drunkenness. I was raised in a world of, of, of drugs. I was a headbanger. I had the most awesome mullet you've ever seen. I'm still, still a proponent for the mullet. I think mullets unite. Come on. Come on, guys. Billy, you're going to grow a mullet with me. He said, no, I got to find somebody. <laughs> We've talked about doing mullets for missions to raise money. Just so you'll have to give money so we'll cut our hair. <laughs> when I got saved... I had a mindset, even though I was born again, I had a mindset that was conformed like the world. But Paul says, don't be conformed to the image of the world and like the world, but be transformed, be metamorpho, that's the Greek word, like a butterfly. You go into a cocoon, you come out, uh, you go in as a worm, you come out as a butterfly. He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the problem is for many people, is they allow the conformity and the image of the world to stay resident in themselves when they come into relationship with God.
What I mean by that is they get saved, they get born again, they, they start transforming and changing, but they allow little things to hang on to them, you know, like cursing. Man, it got silent in here. They allow the little things to hang on to them and, and make excuse. Well, pardon my French. First of all, that wasn't French, sir. God understands. You know, he, I, I can't help it. It's just the way I am. And I'm, Now, I'm not up here making a plea for perfection. But I am making a plea that you need to recognize and realize that behavior is contrary to who Jesus is. If it's, if it's contrary to who Jesus is, then it's not the will of God. And either I've got to make a decision that I am settled with an image that's not the image of who Jesus is and an image of the world. You see what I'm saying, folks, is what do people see in your life? You know, the, the scripture, don't judge me. Thou shalt not judge. You know, we, you hear people say that all the time, especially when it comes to related to particular activities. Hey, you know, you can't judge me. Only God judges me. God judges me. No, the Bible says, pull the plank out of your own side so that you can have a righteous assessment of judgment. We don't judge people in the sense of hell, but here's the truth. The fruit of your life prove who you are. I'm going to preach over here. The fruit of your life proves who you are. My wife, she knows I'm funny. Not funny looking, Billy. I'm funny. I make her laugh all the time. Sometimes I make her cry. Sometimes I make her laugh and cry. Come on. <laughs> the fruit of my life is not proven by what I say or do on Sunday morning. The proof of my life is Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It doesn't matter what I say in this place as much as it matters what I do outside the walls of these church. So Paul said it's not unreasonable that you surrender your entire life as a living sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? That means you give it up to God. But you see, oh, I'm about to preach now. In America, we have falsely believed Jesus saves you so that he can just bless you and you can continue down the same path that you were going, but you, you have a little bit of Jesus, but you still drink. I'll preach on this side. We have a little bit of Jesus, but we still drink. Why do you drink alcohol? I don't know. I'm going to preach on it. Y'all ain't going to like it. That's okay. People drink alcohol when they could drink so many other things. You know why people drink alcohol? Because it makes them feel good. That's the truth. How do I know that? Because it made me feel good. And if anybody tell you alcohol don't make you feel good, they're a liar. The next day it may not make you feel good. My, say, my, my, my point is this. Every action and attitude in your life matters, not just to you. You're not an island. Your children are watching your life. Your grandchildren are watching your life. Your brothers and sisters are watching your life. Your co-workers are watching your life. And so here is the question. God makes an absolute assessment about your life. But here is the truth. Many times people are making assessments about your life as well. Now, when I sold out, I sold out 100%. And if I'm going to sell out and be 100%, that means there has to be a change of thinking. The world tells you it's okay to continue that behavior that is contrary to God's word because you're not perfect. And so therefore, you're going to just keep doing it. I'm not up here telling you you're going to be perfect. But I am telling you, if you're not making war on the things that are contrary to the will of God, then your heart's not in the right place. 
You see, many times we make peace with those things because it's easier to make peace than it is to fight it. Come on. It's easier to make peace with things that are contrary to the will of God because many times it's difficult. It's like exercise. You got to get up at some point and go get on the treadmill. Paul wrote it this way. He said that there's a change of mind. So when you're born again, your mind is placed into a washing machine of the Word of God. And as the Word begins to wash you, you begin to change your actions and your attitudes. Your mind becomes His mind. And Jesus' mind, as Philippians 2.5 says it, His mind, He said He did not come in the form of God. He, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal to God, but made Himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. The mind that's referring here is your thoughts, your ways of thinking, it's your character, it's your attitude, and here is the truth. Character is not who you are on Sunday morning. Character is when nobody's around. What is your character? And so Jesus says he was a servant. That selfish nature that so dictates the lives of people must be cast out and when we look at this there has to be a place where we are able to hold up the mirror and either we're going to see the reflection of the character of christ or the reflection of our own design now the truth is is in order for you to move forward and have the assessment it's one thing to have an assessment it's another thing to put a plan into place to actually change something about your life we all have probably made and broken New Year's resolutions. Anybody ever broken a New Year's resolution? Amen. Have you ever gotten on a diet and quit? Why? Because you saw cookies. Come on. Amen. Speaking of which, there's some cookies outside the church here at the end. If you're a first-time visitor, I got a cookie for you. And they're not low-calorie. They're good ones. Amen. Now... now don't misconstrue what Pastor Thurman's saying. This is not to be a message of condemnation, but this is to be a message of freedom. Somewhere along the way, there has to come, become few, confusion between obedience and legalism. There have been those that have declared that it is legalistic to call God's people to obedience. That is a lie. Obedience is the will of God for the life of every believer. How much obedience? 100%. 100% obedience is the will of God. And in order for us to take the assessment of the revelation of the word of God by the Holy Spirit into our lives. And to begin to actually make changes and see the spirit of God doing that in us. There has to be where we start taking a look at our commitment to the process. How far was Jesus committed to the will of God? When he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he cried out, not my will, but yours. Jesus was committed unto death. Philippians 2.8, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was 100% committed to the will of the Father. To the degree and the point where he said, Lord... If it be possible, let this cup of death pass me by. But if it's not, 
Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And Paul wrote to the Romans, it's not unreasonable that your life become a living sacrifice. Now, should the Lord tarry, every person in this room will lay down their life at some point. There will come a, a time where this, you will depart from this body. That, and, and truth, I, I, I guess as I've gotten older, I reflect on it more and more. Even though I reflected on it as a young man, I recognize and realize that the things that are important are not the things that we guard. So the valuables and the, the physical things of this life, the things that are most important to me are the legacy of my life to my children, to people around me, to friends and family. Because when I lay down my life, I want people to know that Pastor Thurman walked with Jesus. That's what I want people to say. And I want to live under the exact commitment that God calls me to. I think it is a tragedy and a danger that we live in a world that does not call people to complete surrender and abandonment of their life to God. He said that he doesn't put new wine in old, in old wineskins. He puts new wine in new wineskins. So when we come into relationship with him, he transforms our life. And it's not that he makes you a little bit better. I want you to get this. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not Jesus makes you a little bit better person where you don't lie as much, where you don't drink as much or sin as much or whatever particular thing that you deal with. No, that's not what he came. He come to give you a new life. He came to give you his life. And in order for you to walk in the fulfillment of that, there has to be a, a complete commitment to becoming a living sacrifice, which is contrary to the American ideology and the American dream. Ultimately, so many times, though it maybe isn't spoken, it's thought or believed that my life, that God revolves around my life. And he exists to bless me and to make my life a little bit better. No, I died, he began to live. Today, when these children were baptized, it was symbolic of a death. It means they went down and they come up a new creation in Christ. Christ, and when we are a new creation, that means that we have the same desires and commitment that Jesus had to the will of the Father. Are we following me, church? But there's an enemy that's out there. There's an old man out there that's your old fleshly ideas that are pulling at you, wanting you to be committed to your own desires and designs. You see, in this generation, the idea of commitment is good and, and it, until it doesn't suit them any longer. It is, in essence, commitment with strings attached. It is commitment to the task and the purpose of God as long as it makes them happy or fulfills their purpose. The truth is you are committed to the nth degree to your job because many times you do your job and not enjoy it. Anybody say amen to that? Many times there are things in your job that you just don't want to have to do. I can remember when I was a kid working as a janitor at the courthouse in Baird. Let me tell you, I was so desperate for money, I washed, I washed sheets in a nursing home. Let me tell you, that's a commitment to a job right there, folks. And I remember coming to work one day and my boss, I went in at one o'clock and my boss, he, I walked into the back door and I smelled something horrible. And then I looked down on the floor and there was a little trail of horrible that went down the, the ramp and into the ladies' bathroom. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I was like, dear Lord, what is this? And I get in there, the office, 
And my boss goes, I'm so glad that you're here. This dear sweet lady had lost herself on the floor and in the bathroom. And he left it there until I got there making me clean it up. Now, you know, I could have been like, you know what, I'll get, I got, I'll get another job. Because I worked another job. Actually, I worked that during the day and at night. I worked at Dairy Queen. Yeah, I was there when they made the blizzard, folks. That's my claim to fame. I'm as old as that blizzard. Come on. And it was, it, it, it sat so long, it was dried. And uh, I went into the ladies' bathroom to clean it up, and there were handprints everywhere and drawers on the floor, and it was everywhere. And you know what the thought was? It wasn't to quit. It was to clean that mess up. Let me tell you, I gagged my way through it. I did it. Why? Because I was committed because I needed money. Why is it that we hold more commitment to a job for a short-term financial gain than the God that's brought us about an eternal benefit? The commitment that God calls you to is not a commitment that until it serves your purpose or makes you happy or not happy. It is a commitment to God. I am there until you move me away from this and you tell me, Holy Spirit, it's no longer the call that you got in my life. Many times here at church, uh, Stephen was telling me, Stephen is, is buying a house here in Orange, Texas. And he, uh, he came, he said, Pastor, I want to ask you one question before I buy this house. I was like, what? He goes, are you going to be here? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Because I don't. I will tell you this. I'm here until either I die, you run me off, or Jesus tells me to go. That's the truth. I'll not move, I'll not take a step out of this because I know where I am right in the middle of the will of God and that's where I want to be. Is it perfect? Is it easy? Is it wonderful? No, it's not. There are a lot of difficulties associated with it. Matter of fact, I have friends that have much smaller organizations, smaller churches. They make as much money as I do and they play golf several times a week. <laughs> you know what I play? I play chasing leaks around a building. Come on. <laughs> I play air conditioners, not working half the time. I play phone calls and situations and circumstance. Why would I do that? Why would I put myself under that stress and do that? Because I'm committed to the will of God for my life 100% sold out to do what God asked me to do. It's the truth. You see, commitment and obedience go hand in hand. Worship team, come. Commitment and obedience go hand in hand. First Samuel 15, 22 says this. And so Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. In this scenario... Samuel had told Saul to go and to wait for him before they sacrificed. And Saul got so caught up in his role and his position as king. That he didn't listen to the word that was given to him by the prophet. And so he decided he was going to go ahead and start sacrificing. You know what he did? He stepped out of the, out of the bounds of his role. And he disobeyed the word of God. Now, you know, you think, well, you know, it's just a little thing. Well, he just... Did a little thing. And uh, 
Finally, Samuel shows up and he sees what, what, what Saul had done. And the result of that was that Samuel told him, because you didn't obey the word that was given to you, the Lord's rejecting you from being king. And then Samuel goes to, to turn away from Saul. And this is incredible. I mean, that would be a devastating thought to hear that from the Lord. And as Samuel goes to walk, he grabs his, his, uh, his robes. Saul does grab Samuel's robe. And it tears. And he says, today the Lord has torn the kingdom from your hand. And it's, then Saul does something. The Bible didn't say that Saul got down on his knees and began to repent and humble himself and cry out to God for mercy. You know what Saul did? He told Samuel, he said, Samuel, come and honor me before the people. He, he, it's incredible to think about this. There was a declaration of God's judgment over his life because he rejected the word of God. Now I want to tell you this. The Bible says the wages of sin is, come on. So when we disobey God and walk our own direction and turn our own ways, the result of that is the payment of that is death. Now the truth is on the cross, the payment for death was already made. The blood of Jesus was the payment for death. You don't have to live under the judgment of death. Saul in that moment was receiving the reward or the result of a disobedient heart to God. Because I want to tell you this. Here is the truth. We disobey in our hearts long before we disobey in our hands. Did y'all hear that? We disobey in our hearts long before we disobey in our hands. That's why Jesus said, you know, people, guys, listen. We're like, you know, I don't, I don't eat off the menu, but I check out the menu. And Jesus said it this way. The standard that Jesus set wasn't, well, you can look, just don't touch. No, the standard he set was that when you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Well, that's kind of unreasonable, God. I didn't really physically go do it. You did it in your mind. You see what it is? You did it in the heart before you did it in the hand. And the danger is you do it long enough in the heart. Listen, you'll eventually do it in the hand. But Saul, instead of repenting and humbling himself before God and, and understanding and recognizing the difficulty of the judgment of the hour, he was concerned what everybody thought. Y'all hear this this morning. It doesn't matter what Pastor Thurman thinks about you. It doesn't matter what your boss thinks about you. It doesn't matter what your wife and your children think about you. It matters what God thinks about you. Saul was concerned, you know, listen, I know that I've lost the kingdom, but listen, I just want everybody to like me. If you want everybody to like you, they say, go sell ice cream. When you walk with Jesus, you are light in darkness. And they don't have fellowship. When you walk with Jesus and you are sold out to the hundredth degree, when you have full-hearted commitment to the will of God and the purpose of God, there are going to be people that aren't going to like you. Why? Because they're living under the bondage of darkness. And those two do not combine. They're like oil and water. The question is, it doesn't matter even what you think about yourself. It matters what the Lord thinks about you.
We have an epidemic in America of self-serving people. You hear this. You know one of the greatest difficulties after COVID is to get people to go to work? Have y'all, have y'all noticed that? Brother Roberts, they're not. They're having trouble. They're opening up their restaurant and trying to get that thing up and going. And I know they've had trouble getting employees. And, and when we were in Colorado, that you couldn't even hardly find a place to eat dinner in the night because they couldn't get anybody to come and work. COVID changed people's mentality about work. I don't know how they're living. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, there's an epidemic in, in the church today of self-serving people. They're not willing to serve unless it pleases them or fits their schedule. I'll preach that to this side. There's an epidemic in the church today where people aren't willing to serve unless it pleases them or fits their schedule. When you walk with Jesus, your schedule becomes his schedule. When you walk with Jesus, your hands become his hands. When you walk with Jesus, your feet become his feet. When you walk with Jesus, your heart and your mouth, everything that's about you becomes his. The danger is when we falsely believe that my hands, my heart, my feet, my mouth, everything that I am belongs to him, yet I'm serving myself seven days a week and not serving the kingdom of God. This is not a message to condemn you. This is a message to get you on to track because as the world grows darker, you need to grow closer to the light. As the world grows closer, darker, you need to grow closer to Jesus. You need to. Stand with me this morning. Holy Spirit, we just come before you tonight, this morning. Father, I just, I bind insecurity. I bind the lies of the enemy that would cause people to believe that they're less than you call them. A son, a daughter, a child. And I bind that spirit of pride that would cause people to believe that they are more than what you call them. I bind the spirit of lukewarmness that was over the church of Laodicea. It says, I'm rich and have need of nothing. A heart that's indifferent and cold and apathetic towards the voice of the Holy Spirit. I bind that in the name of Jesus. Father, we approach your mercy seat with confidence. We have confidence in knowing who you are. That through the shed blood of Jesus today, you have made us righteous. That through the shed blood of Jesus, you have brought salvation to bear in our lives. But Lord, we cry out before your throne that we would be closer. Lord, we cry out before your throne. That our hearts would not belong to this world, but our mind would be transformed and our lives would be a living sacrifice. Right now, Father, I make a fresh dedication of my life. That my life would be a living sacrifice for your kingdom purpose. Lord, I'd become a servant, the man, the woman that you called me to be, to serve your kingdom wholeheartedly. I surrender my life 100% to you, Jesus. Every head bowed this morning. The Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. You want to make a fresh dedication and surrender in your life. Anybody in this room? You'd raise your hand this morning. Anybody in this room? Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Yes, I see those hands. <laughs> yes. Yes. Lift your hands to the Lord this morning. Father, we dedicate ourselves afresh and anew to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in this room. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. 
God, I'm praying you make us servants. Servants in your kingdom to fulfill your word, your purpose. We love you. We bless you. We thank you, God, for your mercy. Your mercy and your patience with us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I surrender. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering of praise this morning. Listen, if you're a visitor, first-time visitor, my wife and I will be out here. We have some cookies we want to give you. But also, listen, we have a fasting calendar that I'm asking people to join me and I need 30 people to sign up a day. It's out there. We're going to be fasting through the month of June, uh, Ju- Jan- July, getting ready for the Kim Owens meeting. If you could sign up for that, join me in a fast this month. We'd appreciate it. We love you. Shake hands. Church family, make uh, new, new people feel welcome this morning. You're dismissed. Come on. episode. If you would like to learn more about Community Church, you can visit our website at ccorange.org or come follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash community orange. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll see you next time.